Hi, my name is William Mays, and I'm a Michigan DUI lawyer. I've been in practice since uh, 1996, 1997. In around 2003, I started to specialize in drunk driving defense. By 2005, I had uh, joined the National College for DUI Defense, a national criminal defense organization that uh, focuses on drunk driving science and procedure and techniques and I'd found myself doing nothing but drunk driving cases. So for the past oh, eight years or so, I've been doing nothing but drunk driving cases. In connection with that, I've dealt with, obviously, a lot of blood cases. Uh, actually, I prefer blood cases over breath test cases because you can really get into the science, and there's a number of technical things that prosecutors don't understand about blood testing cases that makes it distinctly different from breath testing cases. In any event, I have uh, received a lot of formal training in uh, toxicology as well as advanced seminars sponsored through the National College for DUI Defense, and I've got this experience that I have with handling cases in Michigan that is particular to uh, how the Michigan State Police handle blood and uh, how the various hospitals across Michigan handle blood. Uh, with that in mind, uh, I figure that uh, I can share this information with you Knowledge is uh, obviously a critical key component for any client that's charged with a drunk driving offense. And if you've got these tools at your disposal, you, you might be able to better understand what you're being charged with, what you're facing, and what your options are. Uh, so without further ado, let me get into some of the substance here. Michigan drunk driving law prohibits driving over the legal limit of 0 .08, but the question becomes what is 08, how do we measure it, and how do we measure it reliably? Uh, obviously under the statute uh, the alcohol levels can be measured through breath, blood, or urine testing. A lot of people aren't familiar with urine testing. It's very infrequently used, uh, so I only focus on breath and blood. Uh, I think that I've had one urine case in all of my 15, 16 years of experience. And uh, normally urine is uh, a crude and rudimentary type of test that uh, for obvious reasons you don't see it uh, because it's not very reliable. But also police officers don't really like to deal with people that they suspect might be drunk and uh, testing their urine. Although it's not anticipated by the Michigan statutes on, on drunk driving, uh, Alcohol levels can be measured through a variety of other biological materials. This includes skin and sweat, uh, tears, saliva, and the vitreous humor. Uh, that's the fluid that's inside the eyeball. Now, skin and sweat, uh, you'll see this being used uh, through what's known as a, uh, mon an alcohol monitoring device, the scram tether. That can tell whether or not a person has been drinking alcohol because the transdermal nature of alcohol, it can detect it through the sweat and it'll trigger a positive result and notify a probation department that a person such as like Lindsay Lohan has been drinking alcohol. It can't measure amounts though, or at least it can't reliably measure amounts. So it can't tell if a person is an 08 or an 09 versus a 0.15 or a 0.04. Uh, so there are limitations with these other biological materials that uh, 
can monitor the amount or consumption of alcohol. Another area where they're monitoring alcohol is uh, through urine testing, but not akin to what we're talking about under the statutory language, but instead ETG testing, where biomarkers will appear in the urine that supposedly will tell a probation department whether or not a person has consumed alcohol in the last 7 to 14 days. Uh, lastly, on the vitreous humor, the eye fluid, that is typically reserved for death cases. It's perhaps the only uh, really uh, accurate way of ascertaining whether or not a person who's been killed in a car accident was consuming alcohol because as soon as a person dies, uh, the human body starts to deteriorate and naturally occurring alcohol can spontaneously be created in the, in the body. So they uh, typically use the eye to ascertain whether or not uh, the person had consumed alcohol before the, before the accident. At blood testing versus other tests, the, the breath and, and urine testing. Uh, breath and urine testing is really circumstantial evidence of what a person's bodily alcohol content is. And when I say circumstantial, I mean that it is not a direct measurement. You can do a breath test. Breath test is, is determined to be at 0 .08 grams per 210 liters of breath. Um, obviously, if you think about what the size of a liter is, uh, the human body does not contain 210 liters of breath. Uh, very small amount of air in the lungs, but this conversion factor is used to determine based upon measurements that have been made, simultaneous breath tests with blood tests, um, and years of study, have determined that there's a certain correlation between the amount of alcohol that's in the lungs and a certain amount of uh, alcohol that will be in the blood. And then by studying this repeatedly, we've been able to determine that uh, there is this correlation. It, it, it is, however, a rough correlation. Uh, 210 liters versus maybe 200 liters or something even less than that is completely possible because every person is different. When it comes to urine testing, urine testing is interesting because historically 67 milliliters was not the number that was used. If we go back far enough in Michigan law, we see different conversion factors being used in the early years of drunk driving prosecutions. Uh, actually, a, a slightly a number that would actually not favor the defendant. And uh, so these numbers are subject to debate. And as a matter of fact, there is actually continued debate as to whether or not 210 liters is actually the correct number that should be used for breath testing. Uh, in any event, though, these are indirect measurements. It's circumstantial evidence of what the person's blood alcohol level would be if they had measured a person's blood. And you can see here, uh, I've got a clip of the Michigan legislators uh, or Michigan legislative uh, webpage here. You can look up this law yourself. It's available free online. You just go to the Michigan legislative website and you're looking for Mich Michigan's compiled laws. Uh, the primary drunk driving statute is MCL 257.625. And you can see the web address up top there. It's not a very convenient address, but you can you can look at that address and uh, or you can look it up in the keyword search and you can easily find the statute and as you can see uh, in subchapter 1b 
uh, it talks about uh, these conversion factors. Uh, so it's, it's 0.08 grams of alcohol per 210 liters of breath or uh, 0.08 grams of alcohol per 67 milliliters of urine. So these are indirect measurements. In this slide what we see is the human circulatory system over on the left. This is your blood, uh, your, your veins and your arteries coursing through, taking oxygen to all necessary parts of the body to keep yourself alive. And uh, the reason why I've got that up there is because uh, when you drink alcohol, uh, alcohol, it, the only portion of it that we're concerned about when it comes to drunk driving is the alcohol that affects the brain. Uh, the brain is uh, full of water. It's a blood-enriched organ. And when a person consumes alcohol, the effect that it has is on the human brain. Yet, when you drink alcohol, alcohol does not go exclusively to the brain. It goes to all areas of the body. Uh, and there could potentially be a difference in the amount of alcohol between one's left pinky finger and one's right pinky finger, based upon how the alcohol is being delivered around the, the circulatory system. Now, in the circulatory system, we've got the blood, and what we are looking for uh, when we try to do blood testing is to ascertain what is the amount of alcohol by volume that's contained in that blood. We draw the blood, and we ascertain that it's, uh, we're going to say because the law is 08, we're going to say that it's 0.08 grams per 100 milliliters of blood. Uh, that is, uh, what's in the blood is what's in the blood. Uh, there's no... Uh, circumstantial evidence of that, or we'll actually get into that in a little bit, but uh, we're concerned primarily about what's in the blood, and so we do this direct measurement of the blood to ascertain what's in it. When we turn to the, the lungs, uh, the lungs breathing in and breathing out, you're breathing in oxygen and breathing out carbon dioxide. The lungs, uh, you know, as the blood is being delivered, to the lungs to become oxygen enriched and then over to the heart and then through the circulatory system again the carbon dioxide is deposited as the blood flows into the lungs and that's what you breathe out now alcohol is a tiny portion of a waste product uh, for the most part we break down alcohol through our liver we don't uh, uh, it, it doesn't directly come out such as in like a urine that's a misperception that many people have uh, alcohol is a diuretic, uh, and it causes you to have to use the to to go to the bathroom more frequently. But that's because alcohol breaks down into water uh, as well as carbon dioxide uh, when it's uh, metabolized uh, through a process called alcohol dehydrogenase in the liver. But uh, as a tiny little waste sample, some alcohol is deposited with the carbon dioxide when it's being delivered to the lungs to become oxygen enriched again. And uh, so we're talking about a very, very small amount of alcohol that's in the, the lungs when we do a breath test. Now, going back to this 08 grams per 100 milliliters of blood, 100 milliliters of blood is uh, like 10 test tubes of blood. Every test tube is roughly 10 milliliters. So we're looking at a, a volume sample of 10 test tubes, maybe a, a handful of test tubes filled with blood, and we're looking for 0.08 grams by volume of alcohol. And a gram is a, maybe a paper clip. 
So we're looking for 0.08 of a paperclip of volume of alcohol in this relatively large sample of blood. The amount of alcohol that we're looking for in the lungs is much, much smaller than that, uh, to the tune of 2,100 times smaller. So we're really talking about it on a microscopic level. Blood testing is quasi-direct testing to ascertain what a person's blood alcohol content, content is. Uh, as I indicated earlier, it's a direct measurement, but it's only sort of a direct measurement. As I've got up here on the screen right now, unlike a breath and a urine test used to determine the amount of alcohol in the bloodstream, a blood test is this sort of direct evidence. And I will get into why it's not exactly direct in the next presentation. The problem with blood testing is, is that normally when we hear about a blood test, the hospital or the Michigan State Police are not actually analyzing the blood. Uh, in the case of a hospital, they're measuring a chemical reaction that is indicative of a possible source of alcohol. And in the Michigan State Police, using their techniques and methodologies, they're actually measuring uh, the headspace over a liquid sample. So who is subject to blood testing? This is a, a question that I get asked a lot, not just by clients, but also by other lawyers. Uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding and uh, not a lot of uh, resources out there that state it quite as plainly as what I'm going to put it here for you. Michigan's implied consent law is set up in such a fashion so that if you are stopped and there's probable cause to believe that you were operating a motor vehicle while intoxicated or if you've been involved in an accident and you're, uh, there's probable cause to believe that you were intoxicated at the time of the accident, a police officer uh, may effectuate an arrest and then read the, the subject chemical test rights. Uh, chemical test rights are a misnomer. There's no rights that are involved in it except possibly the, the right to a secondary test once you've submitted to theirs. It's instead a search provision uh, that by operating on Michigan's roads you've given implied consent that you will allow this sort of testing to occur if there's probable cause to believe that you were intoxicated. Even if you're stone-cold sober, if there's probable cause to believe that you were intoxicated at the time of driving, you face a one-year suspension of your driver's license for an unreasonable refusal and six points will be added to your license. You have only 14 days in which to request a hearing if you intend to challenge that one-year suspension. A valid arrest, however, is a condition precedent. There must be a valid arrest for drunk driving or a, one of the related offenses such as OWI causing serious injury or OWI causing death. And this is an interesting footnote here. In Michigan, it is the officer's choice as to which test, breath, blood, or urine, that a person will be subjected to. In other states that's a different story. Uh, many states tend to favor uh, breath testing as a first option because it's less intrusive but under Michigan law uh, the police officer has the right to declare what test he or she wants the arrested person to submit to. Now this is the big one. This is where a lot of people become confused. Uh, diabetics. 
uh, diabetics and hemophiliacs or people who use an anticoagulant drug are not subject to blood testing. Now there are scientific issues that come up with diabetics. Diabetics tend to produce ketones and uh, acetone. Acetone by a breath machine, as I'll discuss in a different lecture, can be confused by a breath machine as if it were alcohol. This has nothing to do with the law though. That's, that's the science. The law says that for health reasons, a diabetic or a hemophiliac or a person who uses anticoagulant drugs cannot be asked to submit to a blood test. Now if a judge or a magistrate issues a search warrant, uh, a blood test can still be performed on a diabetic or a hemophiliac or a person who uses anticoagulant drugs. That's not the issue. The issue is whether or not an officer can demand that a diabetic, for example, submit to a blood test. They cannot. Uh, there would be no suspension and there would be no six points added to the person's license if he or she refused, even if there was probable cause for the arrest. Now, why would a police officer want to use blood testing? Uh, breath testing is quicker, it's easier, and it's cheaper. A breath machine, a data master breath machine, costs between five and seven thousand dollars, and there's a limited number of police departments where they need to have these. So once they, the state of Michigan has invested that money, then it's relatively inexpensive to maintain and keep up to date with the equipment. Uh, blood testing, on the other hand, is more expensive and more time-consuming, but it is, generally speaking, more accurate, uh, again, because it's a quasi-direct measurement. Moreover, a breath test cannot measure drugs. So normally, we see police officers requesting a blood test in cases where they suspect that there might also be uh, potentially uh, some type of drug or controlled substance. Marijuana, for example, is a big one. Uh, if there's any amount of marijuana in the blood, uh, they can prosecute under a separate provision of the OWI uh, laws. But the Michigan, Michigan drunk driving law prohibits operating uh, under the influence of alcohol and or a controlled substance. So with blood testing, you can actually ascertain what, in addition to, the person might be under the influence of. And lastly, uh, accidents. Uh, when there's an accident, there's a separate statute that deals with accidents where a blood test might be given because the person's already at the hospital. And then, of course, you also have the unconscious motorist. If there's a person who's passed out or who has been injured in an automobile accident that cannot answer to the chemical test right questions uh, as to yes or no, I submit or I, I refuse, uh, there is uh, the possibility of a, of a blood test there. An overview of the statutes that pertain to blood testing in general, uh, 257.625A6C states in relevant part that only a licensed physician or an individual operating under the delegation of a licensed physician uh, qualified to perform blood and acting in a medical environment may withdraw blood at a police officer's request to determine the amount of alcohol or controlled substances. The important thing is, is here is that uh, obviously most licensed physicians are not doing blood draws at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, normally it's reserved for uh, blood draw nurses known as phlebotomists or uh, someone who's on staff at the hospital who is duly licensed to draw blood and duly qualified. Uh, however, prosecutors and police are notorious for trying to 
push the envelope on these issues. Uh, we've seen recently, uh, particularly in Oakland County and a few other jurisdictions, uh, the use of uh, calling ambulances to jail cells, having the ambulance driver show up uh, supposedly working under uh, a licensed physician, which is just utter nonsense. Uh, I mean, an ambulance driver may or may not be qualified to draw blood, may or may not be working under the delegation of a licensed physician. Nine times out of ten, they can't tell you who the licensed physician is because they're on contract with a hospital. And it's, well, whomever might be uh, the appointed physician on call that evening for the emergency room. The other problem is whether or not it's a medical environment. Uh, now, the state legislature felt that this was uh, an important enough issue that they included this language in the statutory language. They wanted these blood tests to be done in a medical environment. Now, comparing it to Arizona, police officers go through a very brief training period out in Arizona to become quasi-phlebotomists, and they will stick a needle in your arm on the side of the road in the you know back of the dirty patrol car or off on the side of the ditch. Uh, that to me is just absurd. It's outrageous. And I know a lot of people out in Arizona feel the same way about that, particularly when they're getting stuck by an untrained and unqualified police officer. That's just asking for trouble. Sooner or later somebody's going to be seriously injured or hurt out there and pick up some sort of bloodborne illness as a result of a police officer's attempt to enforce their drunk driving laws. Here in Michigan, at least, we, we do have this, this statute that would prohibit something such as that, but police departments have been creating special rooms that they call a medical environment at their police stations, which is absurd. And then, as you can see from my little picture there, this dirty old rusty ambulance uh, hardly qualifies, and I don't think that it is reasonable. However, there is no established case law on this to save a person's license if they refuse under circumstances such as this. Uh, but I do think that it's something that needs to be addressed. It's interesting, as we can see in this screenshot, that uh, the same provision that talks about uh, a licensed physician or a person working under that physician and drawing blood in a medical environment, uh, the state legislature, when they drafted this particular provision, thought, well, we don't want doctors to get sued for sticking people with needles when, uh, when there's a drunk driving case. And so they included this nifty language here that presumably attempts to uh, ensure that uh, doctors feel free to stick this guy with a needle dock because you can't get sued because we've protected you under the law. But uh, it only protects that person, as you can see there from the last couple of lines, it only, say, uh, it only protects them from a lawsuit if they do not perform the test in a negligent manner. And that's interesting because most medical malpractice cases, the, the person, if a doctor engages in ordinary negligence, ordinary negligence is hardly uh, something that uh, can be pursued. It needs to be gross negligence. So the statute really is meaningless insofar as it uh, attempts to say that a doctor is protected from a lawsuit or a blood draw nurse is protected from a lawsuit so long as they don't perform it in a negligent manner, just about any sort of uh, mistake in the blood drawing process that results in some harm to the individual could be considered negligence. Okay, so how do police obtain a blood sample from a suspected drunk driver? There are three different ways. As I indicated earlier, the primary way is through the implied consent laws. If a person is suspected of driving drunk and the uh, police officer has probable cause to make the arrest, 
then the chemical test rates are read to the person and the person has the right to say yes and consent to the test or to refuse. And if there's a refusal, then you only have 14 days in which to make a written application to the Secretary of State, not the court, but to the Secretary of State to request a hearing. And uh, if that request is not made, the license is suspended for one year and six points are added to the license. At the hearing, however, you have the right to challenge whether or not the officer had the right to stop the vehicle, the right to arrest, whether or not chemical test rights were read, and uh, whether or not the refusal was reasonable in light of all the overlying circumstances. The second way is through a search warrant. A search warrant is typically used if you've got an unconscious motorist or if you have a person who has refused. As part of the chemical test rights, police officers advise a person that they have the right to refuse but that the officer may seek to obtain a search warrant to have the chemical test performed. If a judge finds, based upon the affidavit connected to the search warrant, that there is probable cause, then a blood test can be forced on a person. And if, in fact, they're going to draw blood, if there's a search warrant, then it is resisting and obstructing uh, an officer to try and stop that from happening uh, after the search warrant has been issued by a judge. So it, that's a felony nowadays under Michigan law. And so if they've got a search warrant, just like searching a home, they're able to search the blood. And lastly is a consent search. This very rarely comes up, but uh, there's a case, People versus Borchard Ruland, uh, where chemical test rates were never read to a person who had been involved in an automobile accident. Uh, they simply asked the lady, do you mind if we search your blood? We'd like to find out what your alcohol levels were. And she said, sure, no problem. If you consent to a search, it's just like consenting to a search of your home or your pockets or or in this case, your blood. If you consent to a search, well, not much you can say about it. You've consented to it, which is why I always advise people, you don't consent unless you're being forced to under implied consent or otherwise. So a freely, voluntarily provided consent, though, is a waiver to any sort of Fourth Amendment obstacle, any privacy interest that you might have. I mentioned earlier the accident exception uh, when blood tests may be done. There is an exception under the Michigan laws that actually uh, overcomes HIPAA protections and medical privacy protections. And that is that if a person is involved in an automobile accident and the person is transported to a medical facility for medical treatment and the medical professionals decide that they will run a blood test to treat the person, then the police and prosecutor are entitled to get a copy of those blood test results, at least insofar as the alcohol is concerned. Now, I have had some interesting cases come up with this accident exception. I had a gentleman one time way up north who had uh, stopped his vehicle in the middle of the roadway, climbed out of his vehicle, fell down and hit his head. He was rushed to the hospital. They didn't know what was wrong. And the prosecutor later obtained a copy of his blood. That was actually suppressed by the circuit court judge in that case because there had been no accident. Uh, in order to overcome the privacy rights that you have as a patient, uh, there needs to be an accident. Otherwise, this statute does not apply. Rules regarding breath testing. Uh, there is a comprehensive set of rules in addition to the very general statutory provisions regarding blood draws, the Michigan State Police uh, has a separate forensic science division located in Lansing 
that promulgates administrative rules and they also have internal procedures regarding their lab testing. Now many attorneys are not familiar with the internal procedures and the internal procedures actually change from time to time. Uh, and they, there can be some interesting materials in those internal procedures. But the administrative rules, uh, those are promulgated through formal rulemaking uh, powers. Uh, there's a formal procedure that needs to be followed under the Administrative Procedures Act, which is a boring and dry area of law. I took a course in it in law school, uh, and it was dreadfully hard to even stay awake through. But it's interesting because now in the real world, this Administrative Procedures Act can provide fascinating challenges to the police in what they're trying to do. But essentially it's this. The legislature has delegated certain powers, certain responsibilities to the Michigan State Police, believing that the Michigan State Police have specific knowledge and experience at doing these things, so the rulemaking process should be left up to them. So these become quasi-laws. Uh, because these laws are, or these administrative rules, are binding on the Michigan State Police and the various departments across the, the state that have to follow these rules. The rules as they have been promulgated by the Michigan State Police may actually expand beyond the statutory language. And, and under the administrative law or, or administrative laws and procedures, I think that they have gone too far beyond uh, what they're entitled to do because the state legislature said that you can test breath, blood, and urine. The administrative rules actually uh, indicate alcohol and drug testing of biological and non-biological specimens. Now, non-biological specimens we're not concerned about. That's how to test a beverage to ascertain whether or not it has alcohol in it. But they've expanded it from breath, blood, and urine to all biological samples in their administrative rules. And that actually has taken the authority that they were delegated by the legislature and expanded on it beyond what they were given as rulemaking authority. So the rules now encompass all forms of biological materials. This includes hair, saliva, vitreous humor, skin, sweat, that sort of thing. Uh, and what's interesting is, is that with our draconian any amount laws as they pertain to driving under the influence or driving with any amount of cocaine or marijuana in the blood, uh, potentially a hair test could be done to convict a person of driving drunk because they had used marijuana at some point in the last, I don't know, six months or a year uh, because trace remnants of marijuana would show up in the hair follicles. Uh, that's obviously not what the law was intended to do, but the Michigan State Police have taken it upon themselves to pass a rule that potentially could encompass this. In this slide you see a, a web screenshot of uh, the Michigan State Police's uh, promulgated rules regarding uh, blood testing. This is again something that's free. It's available online. You can read through these rules yourself. Uh, they're a little dry and not very exciting, but they are there and uh, these are uh, these have the uh, the same effect and authority as statutes that were passed by the legislature as it pertains to blood testing. And there are some interesting provisions in here. For example, it's mandatory that a blood draw nurse, for example, must use a non-alcohol containing swab before drawing a blood sample. Now, uh, I've had several challenges on this. It was uh, revealed by the Illinois State Police that the blood draw kits that are manufactured for both Illinois as well as Michigan, uh, there's a uh, betadine swab that's contained in that kit 
that uh, lo and behold, oops, it contains alcohol. Everyone generally believes that betadine is non-alcohol, and that's true, but there are amounts of alcohol in these blood swabs that are being used across the state, and uh, the former head of the Michigan State Police Forensic Science Division Alcohol Testing Unit, Dr. Felix Adazzi, when this was raised as a concern, one, argued the point, and uh, uh, said, well, the amount of alcohol shouldn't matter, and two, uh, refused to test the swabs himself. And that's interesting because this is a forensic science lab that's turning a blind eye to evidence that they might not be following the rules that they themselves promulgated. Um, and, and you find that a lot with uh, the state police, that they, they don't want to know, and what they don't know isn't going to hurt anyone is sort of the attitude that they take. And uh, Illinois actually stopped blood testing for a while while they addressed that problem, whereas Michigan uh, insisted that they weren't violating their own rules, that they had, in fact, themselves passed against themselves. Interesting. Now, obviously, we're talking about hospitals and the Michigan State Police Forensic Science Division. Uh, the blood testing that goes on at these two different general areas is, is remarkably different. Hospitals are typically using a methodology generally known as enzymatic assay. Uh, there's specific tests that we'll get into in the next presentation that's, that delves into hospital blood draws. But hospitals are, are using a methodology that uh, indirectly tests for alcohol in the blood. It does not actually measure alcohol in the blood, but instead a chemical reaction uh, that would be indicative of alcohol being present in certain amounts. Hospitals are actually, they're not too concerned about quantifying results for legal purposes. And on almost every hospital blood draw report that you see from a medical facility, it will say in big bold letters, oftentimes in all caps, not for legal purposes. The reason why that is in there is because they're, they're not ascertaining for a measurement. Now, this might not matter if the subject's blood came back at, uh, say, a 0.25 or a 0.30 uh, as to whether or not the person was over 08 uh, when the number is so much higher. But actually, uh, there's, there's reasons to suspect that even in some cases. The quantitative amount is simply designed so that a doctor or other treating people at the hospital can take appropriate medical action. Uh, will they give a certain drug to the patient uh, or will they do some other type of treatment because there's a possibility of high exposure to alcohol? That's what the purpose of a hospital blood draw is. It was never intended to be introduced as evidence, but yet we allow it uh, to be introduced as evidence and we introduce their, their results uh, in court. Uh, the hospitals are not required to follow the Michigan State Police administrative rules regarding blood testing, and uh, this is a, a bizarre world. The Michigan State Police have passed extensive rules regarding acceptable methodologies that hospitals can use to implement blood testing for evidential purposes. So enzymatic assay, amongst other types of techniques, are included in these administrative rules, even though the Michigan State Police do not employ that methodology. But yet the hospitals are not required to follow those rules because hospitals are not engaging in the practice of analyzing a person's blood for evidential purposes. Uh, it, I don't understand why the Michigan State Police went out of their way to uh, pass rules 
uh, except possibly to add some air of legitimacy or authority to the hospitals that the hospitals were not seeking. They, they, they did not want this responsibility, and they have never taken up the Michigan State Police or competed with the Michigan State Police for testing blood for evidential purposes. The uh, Michigan State Police Forensic Science Division typically uses GC uh, with flame ionization detection. Uh, this is gas chromatography. All right, this is what's known as uh, generally the gold standard, and I've got a separate presentation I'm preparing that will deal with gas chromatography. There is also GCMS, which is gas chromatography mass spectrometry. That is reserved for drugs. Alcohol can be tested, or blood alcohol levels can be tested using uh, gas chromatography with flame ionization uh, detection, but uh, drugs, which are even in smaller amounts than alcohol, uh, to pick up those very, very small, trace, minute amounts of uh, substance, such as THC or uh, cocaine, uh, they need to use GCMS in order to ascertain what's there and uh, to be able to reliably quantify it. And there are some significant issues right now in the forensic community as to whether or not the Michigan State Police Toxicology Lab is actually engaging in uh, accurate reporting as to the drug amounts um, and some serious questions with that. Now this is something that when I first started practicing law I didn't understand the first thing about whole blood versus serum and plasma. Uh, I know that uh, if you work in the medical field you of course understand the distinction but lawyers generally don't and uh, when you become uh, well, anybody that's practicing drunk driving defense needs to know the difference between whole blood and serum and plasma, uh, but more, from, more than just an armchair guess at, well, I understand what serum and plasma is, but I don't understand how that affects alcohol levels. Uh, if, if you don't understand this, um, it's fine, but uh, I'm assuming that you're not a drunk driving defense attorney. Whole blood is self-explanatory. The law expresses itself in a whole blood and the administrative rules indicate that uh, any any result from a blood test must be expressed as a whole blood um, equivalent. The problem with testing whole blood, uh, think about it from a forensic scientist's perspective, uh, you've got this uh, vial of blood and they ask uh, you to tell them how much alcohol is in this and you start looking at it and you know various testing methodologies and whatnot but you're looking at an aqueous solution that's got a lot of cellular material floating in it. Uh, you can't get a ray of light to penetrate it because of all the cellular, cellular material. And how exactly are you going to test this to ascertain how much alcohol is in it? In any event, though, the goal in drunk driving cases is to find out what is the amount of alcohol in that whole blood solution. Serum and plasma is actually a, a, a lot easier to test, and that's why hospitals uh, use serum and or plasma samples to ascertain the amount of alcohol in the blood. This is where uh, the sample is centrifuged to separate out the cell cellular material from the the solution, the plasma. The problem with that is is that alcohol has an affinity towards water so the alcohol is going to become more concentrated in the serum or plasma uh, higher than what it would be in the whole blood solution because all the alcohol is also going to be centrifuged out of 
the cellular material, the hematocrit. Uh, serum is, is a whole blood sample that's been centrifuged, and, and this will naturally coagulate because of the fibrogen that's in, in a blood, uh, in everyone's blood. If you cut your finger, uh, the blood will clot, and that's why you don't bleed to death every time you get a paper cut. Uh, serum is untreated, and so when it's centrifuged, it separates out the cellular material, the serum is left on top, and that's all that it is. Plasma is, for all intents and purposes of analyzing for alcohol, it's identical to serum. But plasma contains an anticoagulant, so it will remain in a liquid form. Now, as I indicated earlier, you can see on this screen that I've got a scotch glass filled with uh, whiskey of some sort and these new whiskey rocks. Uh, they've all, they're also called scotch rocks. Um, these are solid pieces of, I believe, porcelain that you can put in your freezer. Uh, they get actually colder than ice and uh, have uh, the ability to retain their uh, cold temperature for a, a period of time after you put it in your drink. By putting it inside the drink, there's no dilution, and so these have become kind of popular. This is a good example, though, about how alcohol has an affinity towards water as opposed to solids. The hematocrit that's in a person's blood, uh, the blood cells, the platelets and whatnot, these are uh, solids, that, or at least uh, for all intents and purposes, solids that uh, will not contain the alcohol, and so the alcohol goes towards the water solution. If we take out those, uh, those whiskey rocks, and we're trying, but yet trying to measure the amount of alcohol that's in that glass as a whole, including the whiskey rocks, obviously there's going to be more alcohol left in the solution once we remove those rocks as opposed to measuring the rocks as part of the whole. So what we've got is, is uh, a certain percentage or a, a, uh, a conversion factor that needs to be employed to generally say what would it have been in the whole blood. Uh, now, generally, this is calculated at 16%, but it could be as much as 25% higher. Um, and it requires expert testimony at trial to be expressed as a whole blood solution or a whole blood equivalent uh, because it's not just generally 16%. And uh, any qualified expert in this area would readily admit that there are ranges here, and so the hospital's blood draw is not going to be as accurate as, a, uh, as a, uh, something that's analyzed on gas chromatography. The important thing is here, though, is that the prosecutor must introduce expert testimony. And uh, earlier in July of 2012, the uh, current head of the Michigan State Police Forensic Science Division, not the alcohol portion, but the overall head of the Forensic Science Division, announced that uh, the members of the alcohol analysis uh, team would not be testifying as generic experts any longer. It was John Collins who made this announcement and uh, recently also announced his retirement that he is going to be taking a job in some other state. But uh, this was an impressive and bold move on Collins' part uh, because the Michigan State Police toxicologists uh, have, well, some of them are, are only college-educated and then trained at the Michigan State Police as laboratory uh, analysts and uh, have no other experience aside from their college education and their training that they undergo at Michigan State Police. 
have been used to testify as to the effects or pharmacological effects of alcohol, marijuana, and a variety of other things with no real training or experience and certainly no recognized expertise. Uh, it was these folks, uh, oftentimes young college-age students, that were being brought in to say, well, it's 16% because that's what I read this morning in an article that I pulled off the Internet. Hardly qualifies as true expert testimony. But because prosecutors were able to use these witnesses for free, they were abusing what these laboratory technicians are really capable of doing, which is actually analyzing blood samples and telling and reporting to juries and judges what it is that they did to analyze the blood sample, which is what Collins announced they would be doing from this point forward, is restraining and limiting their testimony to only that area, which is what they're certified to do under their various uh, laboratory uh, credentials, is to analyze the blood and nothing more. I don't know where the prosecutors are going to turn to next um, unless they try to change the next incoming director of the Michigan State Police Forensic Science Division's opinion as to what the uh, these uh, laboratory technicians ought to be used for. But uh, as it stands right now, the prosecutors no longer have free experts for anything under the sun. Well, that's all that I've got for you for now. Uh, in the next presentation, I will be delving into hospital blood draw procedures and how uh, blood is actually analyzed in the hospital how the testing is performed using as an enzymatic assay and the weaknesses that we've got in hospital blood. And uh, in the future after that, I intend to do a lengthy presentation on gas chromatography uh, to kind of introduce everyone to gas chromatography so that you can understand what the Michigan State Police are doing as opposed to what the hospitals are doing. This will take me a little bit of time, but check back in a few weeks, and uh, there should be a second seminar up and online uh, regarding hospital blood. Again, my name is William Mays of the Mays Legal Group, and uh, you can always feel free to call me at 734-591-0100 or visit uh, my website at www.michigan-drunk-driving.com. Thanks again for listening.